Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about our kits, uh, our little setups and how they how they work. And hopefully uh, you'll get some stuff out of it. You can ask questions about those if you'd like. Uh, ask them now or while we're showing them off. Um, and we'll, we'll show you a little bit about how we have our our setups. What what does it what does it take to have these screens be what they are? <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you've got uh, questions for the first hour, you can of course uh, use Makana. You can add the questions there. You can vote on those questions and chat with everybody else. If you're not in Makana and you just want to ask a question, you can go to askofficehours.global. That's askofficehours.global. QR code right there. Um, and uh, you can use uh, you can use that for the first hour. You can also use it for the second hour if you move quickly. And then most importantly, you can use it 24-7. So you can, you can do this any time of the day. Just go to askofficehours.global and you can just throw a question in. We'll, we'll feed it in for the next day and uh, discuss it there. Let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Bill, what do we have? First one comes from Clive Kitchener in British Columbia, Canada. Of the under 200 U.S. dollars USB audio interfaces available, which is considered bang for the buck? The Focusrite Scarlet 3rd uh, or 4th generation, the Behringer UM2 or the Behringer UMC22, the M-Audio AOR 192 by 4 or something else? I got it, Courtney. I'll mention something else because it's something I used here on Office Hours for a long time before I got my Rodecaster Pro, and that's the uh, Samson MixPad MXP124. I had the MXP124FX, which has the digital effects in it, but this is a $199 mixer, um, and I think you can get it discounted cheaper than that uh, many times. That's the list price on it. It has pretty clean preamps. Probably if you're going to be using a, uh, a Shure... Uh, dynamic microphone, it may not have enough gain. To, you may hear a little bit of the self-noise, but with a good uh, condenser mic, which is what I was using into it, uh, it's not a problem. And uh, in the under 199, it gives you a lot of flexibility with multiple mic inputs and good monitoring so that you can hear yourself in side tone, undelayed, um, and not send it out. So you can do mix minus something. So it's, it's pretty good. That's It's in a box now because it's been replaced by my Rodecaster. Alexander? Yeah, so for under $200, I would look at, and since, Clive, you are in Canada, I would look at the the Universal Audio Volt audio interfaces. The Volt one, if you only need a single mic input, uh, that's a good quality interface. The preamps are pretty good on those two, and they're currently on sale for, it looks like, 174 bucks or so. Um, you can see that here. Uh, if you have slightly deeper pockets, you will get a considerably better interface if you jump up to something like the Lewitt Connect 6, which I've mentioned here on the show before. It's $399 Canadian. The reason why I keep coming back to this one is because you get two mic inputs, but the preamps are significantly better. And at this price point, it's hard to beat because you, you get an interface with preamps that have at least 70 dB of gain, plus you get dynamics processing. So, you know, sub $200 interfaces, you're not going to get any kind of uh, EQ compression, any kind of noise suppression at all. And you get all that with the Lewitt, plus uh, a really good loopback interface, and you can create custom Q mixes. It's got two headphone outputs. Each can have the, their own discrete mix. So this w works great for podcasters. It also works great if you're just trying to track you know, you and somebody else and you're doing some music and the other musician wants their own mix. So that's a good option as well. 
Yeah, and and I've been testing this. Um, this is the MVX2U, uh, which if you just just need an interface, this is great to put to put in there. Where this is just literally the XLR in and the USB C out. It does have a zero latency headphone jack. Um, so so if you're just looking for a base interface, it'll be under two hundred dollars and it will work as well. Next question. Next one comes to us from Alexander Knight, port code Quicklin, BC, Canada. I lost a recording on my ATEM Extreme ISO using my own NVMe drive. It's been running reliably for the last year. The stop record button failed to respond. Power cycled. The data was corrupt as it couldn't finalize. Apparently, I'm not the only one. Yeah, Alex, did you, uh, how long was the, how long was the show? It was about 90 minutes approximately, mm, which yeah. is the typical length that we record. But it's weird that it's been fine for a year, all of it with using the same drives. And all of a sudden, this happens. And I started going down the rabbit hole, asked people on Discord. They said uh, they've had this issue. I can see people on the forums complaining about it. And they're Do you just, know when it failed? It, it was, well, I can't. All I can say is that at the end, when I wanted to finish, I hit stop. And it just, from the ATEM control software, it just would not respond no matter what I do. So at that point, I had no choice but to power cycle. And of course, because course, it couldn't write the data, I had, you know, I, I lost the whole project. There was no data there on the drive. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Could you see the file that it created uh, when you unplugged your drive and plugged it back into your computer? Um could you, you couldn't see the drive. There, you couldn't so see the file at it all. It did that create a project recording. file. There was an ATEM ISO project file with the, the DRP project in there, but there was, it was, but it was like, empty. Yeah. It was like, you know, hundred megabytes or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, problem. <laughs> yeah, it, I, uh, I will say that I've had enough failures that I don't depend on it. Like it, it's, it's failed probably. I'm doing multicam. Uh, my ISO has probably failed 25% of the time. <laughs> like, like it's not so i don't really consider it a i don't consider i don't like lean into it as a as a solution i have now i have records usually um you know because i tend to be a belt and suspenders kind of person um i usually have other records and i i have the isos from the cameras i have the the um the hdmi out to something that's recording as well um so i've got a couple different things in front of me um, but it has been, um, I haven't, and I've used, um, you know, T5 drives. Uh, I haven't used my, my own MVMEs because I didn't consider it necessary, but I thought about using that in the future. But it was enough, pro it was problematic enough that I didn't really consider it a, a solid solution for, for anything that, that, that I, like it, it's a, I hit record on it to see what it will do. <laughs> like I, I don't hit record on it to actually capture something that I need. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. I have a uh, couple of hyperdecks that I use for backups. Is that a common choice? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you have the are the little hyperdecks or the big hyperdecks? Uh, I've got the shuttle and the uh, the medium one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I use. I have to admit, for the 1080p because this is 1080p, and because I've got a couple of Pix 240s laying around, I use the Pix 240s because I can see it and I can uh, see levels and I can you know do a lot of other things. So I I have a, I have the Pix 240 you know taking the the output and it goes through that. Um, to make that happen. So it's a little bit different, but it's just because I, I wouldn't recommend buying them. What's amazing is those prices have not changed dramatically. <laughs> if anything, they're about, up. Yeah, about $3,000 right now to get a used one. I just did a, uh, I don't know how I would have done what I did on Monday. I, I missed, I missed, uh, was it Monday? No, Wednesday. Yes, two days ago. I was testing latency from one location to another. And what I had to do was I had to uh, calculate the latency from uh, an iPad 
to the camera. So what is the latency of the camera? And then I had to calculate the uh, latency to across the country and then back, you know. And so, so the way that I did that was I, but I used a, a lot of old sound devices, the old sound devices equipment was, was as I cobbled together what I had to do, I, I wanted to have frames, so I had to have screens, but I also wanted to have a, um, uh, I wanted frames, but I also wanted, audio is not limited to frames. So you can only say, oh, I'm 30 or 60, or in this case, 60 frames a second, 15 milliseconds, 30 milliseconds, 45 milliseconds off, if you're only looking at the frames. But if you listen to the audio, you can get a much more accurate picture of it. So I used the Slate, you know, the, the iPad Slate app. I had a USB-C coming out of that, and that went into a mix, uh, I'm sorry, a USB Pre 2. That USB Pre 2, one channel went out to a Blackmagic 12K. The other channel went out to a, to the Mix, mix Pre. I'm not sorry, I'm sorry, the, the Pix 240. Then <laughs> to make it more complicated, the Pix 240 went into another channel in the Blackmagic camera. And the reason for that is, and then, and then the Blackmagic camera went to the switch and the, and the, uh, and coming out of the switch from the, the New York knock, I got a, um, uh, I put it into the mix per, into the, into the, into the picks because it's got XLR in. So what I have there is I have this weird mash where I, if I, when I hit go, it, it drops the beeps, the beeps hit the camera. They also hit the picks, then it sends or, and then they send it out and it comes back and it hits the picks again in the, because uh, I can do four channels, SDI and XLR. Um, so it hits the picks again and hits the camera again. And what that does is it creates a, um, I can calculate between every point, I can calculate the, um, the, the, the delta between the impulse and the return to a very, you know, very, I mean, it's not automatic like it would be, but it's analog in the sense that if I used a matchbox, I only get the SDI to and from New York. Like, so I don't, I don't get, so if I, by using the camera and using the other pieces, I get a more realistic view of it. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is that, I mean, I, I, I bring it up because that's why, I mean, I, I, when I put the picks in there, I was like, can I use anything else? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, like not in a small, not in a small box because it has the XLR. It has, it, here's the thing that made the picks different. It has two XLR ins, two XLR outs. I can take SDI and XLR. I, and then I can define what channels are going back out of it because I had to pick the channels that went back to the camera. And all of those things, like there's no other box that does that right now. You know, it's, it's a really interesting puzzle. Yeah, go ahead. It also has a delay on it too, if you need it. I didn't need the delay, but yeah, it has delay for all the channels too, which is great. Um, but I, you know, in this case, that's the only thing I needed to make sure was at zero. <laughs> so, um, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah. So a couple of things here too. Um, and it, he's like, let's get back to my question. <laughs> you just want some, that, that was like the definition of a rabbit hole. So anyway, go ahead, Alex. Tangential. Uh, okay. So the, drives that I was recording to was a, it's a Western Digital Black uh, NVMe drive and I, I had it in a small rig NVMe enclosure just to be because I'm like paranoid now I replaced it I bought a new one Western Digital Black NVMe and I'm going to be testing a new enclosure the one thing that worries me about these small rig uh, uh, NVMe enclosures is that um, it seems to get way way too hot in operation so I'm going to be testing these new Vantech uh, NVMe enclosures that seem to have a, a much better passive cooling solution with fins. So I'm hoping that that will help. So, One thing I noticed when I took the drive out of the enclosure and the um, the 
heat um, strip the the that I put on top of the NVMe drive had completely disintegrated, which makes me really nervous. That's not good. In just case you're wondering, that's not that's definitely not not the optimal. Like without statement. What's funny is it, it it's unclear when you buy those uh, NVMe's. When I when I bought them, I was like, what is this strip for? It doesn't work without it. Just so you know, like if you're if you see the NVMe, uh, the NVMe in your box will not work uh, without that little rubbery strip that goes in because it's the heat sink. It attach it pushes the chip against what hopefully is a metal enclosure. With lo- if you look at, um, it, can we see this this strip you're talking about? I don't know. They're inside. I have to take apart. I'm not gonna take it apart right now. So these you'll see these these are these are um, little uh, it's little pieces of silicon, but these little see these little fins. (laughs) Um, uh, These little fins on it. Let's see if I can get it out of focus. I gotta get the product thing set up. I can't. There we go. So you're saying that the strip is a heat transfer coupling between the outside of the thing and the because all these all these drives have these little they have ridges on them. They're metal and they have ridges, and you need to press that up against them. Um, so that it uses its case as a as a heatsink, and if it doesn't do that, it will overheat <laughs> over time. Like it, you will not notice it if you're transferring a 10 gig file or a 50 gig file or whatever over once. You will notice it if you keep the drive running for a long period of time, like a long transfer, or like exactly what Alex is doing. <laughs> so, so like if it, so the heat of the of the uh, the heat dis- dissipation, and I will say that that's been the problem. I've no- normally seen it with the T5s. Um, uh, fail at about 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 the reason I asked about time somewhere between seventy five and ninety minutes they failed like they just they just got too hot uh, go ahead Chris yeah I was going to ask uh, Alexander what drive he and he answered that and how long did you say yours was Alexander well how long I was recording for or how big yeah. the drive yeah I was yeah. recording for about ninety minutes approximately and then the other question I had was you said that the stop button failed. Did you try it through the software it, and through the hardware? I tried the hardware button on the switcher itself and the ATEM control. None of them did anything. And and here's the and here's the issue with the T5s. I don't know what, about what happened with yours. Is they go like this about so if you have like zero gigs, four hundred gigs, you know, one terabyte, right? They'll go like this, and then they just go like that. <laughs> That's their transfer. So they go from going five hundred megs a second to like forty. Um, and they do it in like a minute. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's a data transfer issue. I think it's a heat issue. I think that what happens is you're, if you're transferring a large file all at one time, that drive heats up um, and, it, and then it just uh, – and then it stops working. And I think that it doesn't matter that you're doing it a lot. It's that you're using it for that period of time. So I do think that it's probably related to heat. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Well, I just remember – you know, I've, I've – Come to understand that when I take something apart, when I pull out the small screwdrivers and I decide I'm going to go inside an NVMe drive or anything else, I take pictures literally every single step of the way. And what I've learned is that if when I reassemble, I don't absolutely run those in reverse and get every single thing back in there. Because just what you're saying, Alex, you know, this is just a spongy thing and it doesn't really matter. I won't put it back in. (laughs) Then suddenly, welcome to failure because there was a reason they put the spongy thing in there. It was not just so it wouldn't rattle or something like that. It has a real function. And yeah, so there's, there's also two memory first, cards. The the there's the SATA and the uh, the eSATA and the what was the other the other um, 
There's two of them that look very similar. Just in case you're wondering, they are not the same. <laughs> they look very M2, similar. The MVME and an ESATA, yes. Yeah, yeah, ESATA and the MVME. And, and they, they look very similar, but they're not the same. And if you try to force it in, I, I'm not saying you should, that enclosure will no longer work. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't ever claim to be the person that did that test. Um, anyway, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, and just one more quick thing too, uh, Alex. With the MVME enclosures that you're using, I'm not sh- I'm not sure which one you're you're using, but do you just leave them like sitting flat on a desk, or do you have have you 3D printed something to to put them kind of like you know this way so that they get good airflow? My MVMEs are almost all used on cameras, and so they have like a little, you know, like a like a they're being held like this, like with a, with a little clamp that then is usually on some kind of Noga arm that sits that kind of sits off, so they're. Um, these are not, uh, I almost never use these as drives that are sitting somewhere. They're almost always, you know, attached to the camera. And the reason that I build them is because I'm trying to get the most speed. So these are, you know, running at, you know, 900 megs a second, something like that. And so, uh, for more pedestrian stuff, I tend to use this, the pre-built drives. Um, yeah, you're trying to show something, Chris, you're just like fiddling with it. Um, I was trying to figure out, so this is a little NVMe enclosure and, it opens up. So what is the strip you're talking about? Uh, Do I not have the strip? You don't have the strip. Yeah. How big is that drive? Well, it's about, you know, is it a terabyte? No, is it a terabyte or two terabytes or 500 megs? Uh, yeah. Oh, boy, you're getting really personal here. Uh, you know, I, don't, I don't recall. I, take, a, take a really large file and try to transfer it on. Tell me how long it takes before the data, the data rate drops to nothing. <laughs> Just try it. See how it works. All right. All right. I'll try. All right. Thanks. Uh, Next question. Next one comes to us from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Remote live production. What websites do you regularly check out for news and new ideas in this area besides office hours, of course? You know, besides office hours is a hard one for me. I mean, I, I follow a lot of people that do production in Twitter, and I follow a lot of people who are doing production in YouTube. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of websites that I actually refer to um, in these areas because I show up on so many press things because I've been a press at many conferences. I'm on a lot of email lists um, from like the PR departments for most of the stuff. So an enormous number of, of things that are being released and everything else, I'm just getting emails about them. I get three or four a day about some new product that's coming out. So um, so there, that, that's kind of the, the, where I see a lot of that stuff kind of show up. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. I keep the homepage of my Google, uh, Chrome browser to be uh, Google news on the technology tab right. and they've got the top tech stories there. I also on my, uh, personal assistant, uh, on the a lady, uh, I have the wall street journal tech news, which is a daily, uh, about a fifth, you know, 10 minute or yeah. so podcast on tech news and it has the latest tech news so that keeps me up to date audio wise yeah i mean i i think it's mostly listen you know looking for equipment and most of the time i think most of the things that i discover is mostly because i'm talking to somebody either here in office hours or i'm talking to somebody about what they're using or i'm you know i show up somewhere and someone brings some cool little new tool or someone uh, i i do i will say that um, discord is useful because it's useful for a lot of reasons, but a lot of people, like if something new comes out that's related to what I do, I tend to get three or four discords about, hey, have you seen this? <laughs> so, uh, and, and which is great um, because, you know, getting those alerts makes it easier for me to go find new things. 
Um, next question. But uh, to go back to this, number one thing that I do is office hours. It's being in this conversation and people ask questions and talking to folks here is probably 90% of my keeping track of things. Um, yeah, go ahead. Next question. Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada, comes in off of a QR code question link. Smart rig versus small rig. Best bang for your buck versus better for the outside. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mitchell. I have to say that uh, the small rig stuff is so comprehensive. They have something for just about everything. And I can't compare it to smart rig, but I can compare it to my Tilta uh, stuff that I've got tacked on my uh, FX3. I bought Tilta because I thought it was a good choice. Um, but it's kind of limited in what it can do, and the price is substantially more. So my uh, 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 callback on this would be uh, small rig, excuse me, yeah, small rig is inexpensive, best bang for your buck, and they cover just about everything. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the smart rig, the only thing I could find with smart rig is really the, the um, audio interface. So that's a different, kind of a slightly different thing. So... Um, uh, Ceremonic makes a smart rig that's an audio interface. I didn't find another rig rig that was uh, that would compete with small rig. But yeah, there's the moment rig looks really interesting that we saw in the Apple stuff. Um, uh, but I think that almost all the rigs that I'm using around my phones are small rigs. Um, and I and I agree with Mitchell that they're they're really well built. Um, they're really well thought out. Uh, I do I do think that I'm going to end up moving to the more generalized one because I have lots of I, I have this growing stack of them that were the last phone that had a rig, you know, and I'm just like, I, I need to eventually just, just buy one that will rule them all. It, it is nice though, because you can throw it in your pocket. I mean, the one that's custom to the, to the phone, you're able to just kind of throw in your pocket and pull it back out and it's not so riggy, but, um, but I, but I may, may switch over. We'll see. Uh, next question. Khalid Al-Jamaya of House of Saudi Arabia. Have you heard of Orion? It's an app that turns your iPad into an HDMI monitor, and he's got a link to it there. I thought that's an awesome app, and I wanted to share it with the community. So yeah, this is, a great, this is a great app. I have it on my iPad. I was going to try to show it, and I realized I just didn't know exactly how to get the, all the inputs in, in and outs to show it to you um, through the mix. But it's, it's a, it's, there's a couple of them um, that, that are um, there. So Orion is kind of a straight... Um, monitor so it'll turn it into a monitor and you can you know you got some levels you've got a couple other things there there's another one let's see if i can find it really quickly that i got right around the same time as orion um it is really exciting that you know that a lot of these apps and with the new os you know they're they're becoming more accessible um so i can find it really quickly here the uh i think it's does it use just a generic uh, uh hdmi to usb SC yeah i mean or? i'm using the um uh, I, with Orion, uh, I am using the blue condor. It's like a, it's not a, it's a, a relatively inexpensive one. I think that the other one that I was, that I've been using is the, uh, what's called video assist. And it is much more involved and expensive. <laughs> so, so the, the, so that's the, I mean, the, the Orion one I think is, is relatively, I think it, I don't, I don't think it's very expensive. Um, but the um, but the video assist has got a lot more tools to it uh, as far as capture goes and a lot of other bits and pieces that you can look at. So um, look at that one as well. I can't remember how much it was, but it was more than more than the average iPad app. I think it's a download free, and then it says in app purchases. So if you unlock it, I think there's cost. But I think you can for Orion without that for Orion, yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's free to download. You have to pay for the power button. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it just says get it. Yeah, video assist. Uh, yeah, video assist. It was, um, yeah, 
Video Assist has got a lot more tools that 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 are taking advantage of that stuff, but it is a hundred dollars. So, but it's got you know lots and lots of um, camera tools and pick up. It's it's they put a lot more into it, but it also at a at a much higher price for that vertical. Courtney, yeah, it's strange that they're using Video Assist because that's a trademark of Blackmagic uh, for their monitors called video assist i don't know eventually they'll Witcher probably change the, the they'll probably change the price change the name eventually when when black magic watches this uh um episode uh, uh this this thing they'll be like what yeah but it's called video assist it's on there it's 100 bucks um they probably are programmers that don't know that there is a video assist uh thing it could be hard to really have a copyright that would hold up for video assist only because it's been, it's been a, a term of art it's for a, it's so a, long. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty hard to protect. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer, Vieira, Florida, USA. Is there an office hours that covers created, creating an AWS virtual machine and setting it up to receive SRT? Thanks. That seems like a good lab. So, I mean, I think, I mean, like, a, like an office hours lab. So let's throw that into the second hour suggestions and we'll find a place to put it. But I think that that would be a great, a great lab. Um, next question. Next one comes from Chester Sweeney in Los Angeles. This is another QR code as submission, by the way. I keep seeing Tascam mixers. Are they half as good as Behringer or Yamaha when it comes to things that last almost forever? Go ahead, Alex. I've used many Tascam products over the years, and they're generally pretty solid. I've also used Yamaha mixers, and those are good, too. Just depends what we're talking about. Are we talking analog or are we talking digital? Because both companies have uh, their own offerings for both of those types of uh, mixers. And um, it really depends. With Tascam, you want to make sure that you are getting a product that has their higher quality mic preamps, which they their marketing, I can't remember what it stands for, but look for HDDA preamps. Those are their higher bandwidth, better quality mic preamps. Um, the available headroom on their preamps really varies from product to product their analog model series like the model 12 16 24 they're pretty neutral sounding preamps they don't have a ton of games so they might not be the best option for a low output dynamic microphone um However, some of their other products like the little, and I have one here, the Tascam MixCast, which is a little four mic input uh, product that kind of competes with the Rodecaster for podcasts. That thing has 66 dB of gain. And the Tascam Porta Capture field recorders are really good. Those have a lot of gain on their preamps. So those are newer products, though. So uh, And they're clearly advertised for podcasters. So if that's what you're trying to do and you've got demanding microphones, those are the ones to probably use for Tascam. Go ahead, Bill. It seems to me that once upon a time a brand was a brand. Now, Tascam came out of an old company called TIAC that was really big in reel-to-reel recorders and things like that. And their Tascam line is, is, was kind of developed as they were starting to move into the digital space. The the thing, and I, I reflect on what Alexander's saying, and I agree with it, 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 these products, these brands kind of can change and morph over time. Something like a Marantz brand that used to be at the really top of the old stereo era can be bought out or sold just the name itself and can end up being on a midline or even a low-end line. So I think the advice you're getting from Alexander to kind of look at the reviews of that particular model and see whether that company is aiming it at the low, medium, or high end of the, the thing because you'll see the same brand name on products at all three levels or price points makes it a little more difficult to just say, oh, if it's that brand, it must be fabulous. Well, maybe. 
but you yeah, know. I think I think there's often an argument for a lot of brands will have sub brands that they put less expensive things into, and I really think that's a smart idea because. I think that it's it, it is a uh, focus right is a good example of their lower end stuff is stuff that frustrates me a lot and their higher end stuff is stuff I use all the time and and it's you know and so it, it but it's it's hard because they they just made it a product vertical but I think that it would make sense for focus right to be maybe having having focus okay <laughs> like focus, maybe not maybe not focus, focus wrong <laughs> but there's focus right and then there's focus uh, yeah go ahead Courtney yeah Tascam women had Tascam mixers analog mixers for eons it seems like and this one it's you know this is the 16 and it's 800 bucks so i think it's kind of pricey compared to what you can get you know down here from mackie or, or behringer for you know about half that price so uh in a similar analog with usb outputs on it with a to d on the outputs with an analog mixer on the front end so um they've been a fairly you know middle middle of the ground uh, middle middling uh <laughs> product for years uh not high end not low end but right in the middle you know yeah go ahead alex yeah and no, actually i wanted to i realized i went on a tangent about preamps and didn't specifically talk about the to the longevity of the product um i can say that as someone who's used uh tascam and yamaha products for a long time and i've seen these things last for decades in studios uh, not just at, uh, analog stuff, but I, I still even see really old Yamaha digital consoles in, in um, some universities and their broadcast programs uh, that students use all the time. So they do have a good longevity and I've had really good luck with them. And yeah, I mean, if you if you're looking for field recorders, affordable stuff, I would stay away from the Zoom H series stuff. The uh, the the capture uh, device for a little bit more money is significantly better quality. Quick reminder that, of course, you can uh, ask questions throughout the hour. Uh, so you can throw, jump into Makana, ask those questions. Make sure to vote on the questions so we have a good sense of what order you'd like us to work on it. We tend to spend a little more time in the front part of the hour and a little less time on the, on the questions on the bottom part of the hour because we've decided that the producers have made a decision. <laughs> so so uh, get those questions in uh, and make sure to vote on those questions to, so that we understand uh, where you want them. And um, if you uh, are not in Mukana, you can ask questions in askofficehours.global. That's askofficehours.global. You can put it in 24-7. So anytime you think of something, just go to askofficehours.global and we'll feed it in. Next question. Steve Yuroff at Madison, Wisconsin comes up next. And the question is, my Vizio OLED TV is great at perfect blacks, but about one to, but at about 1% to 10% brightness, I see an unevenly lit, irregular patch across all sources in dark scenes. Is there any action I can take to even this out? Go ahead, Mitchell. You know, what's interesting about your question, Steve, is that uh, a little tidbit, there's only about four manufacturers out there that make the flat panel OLED displays. So what distinguishes one from another, one brand like Vizio from, say, Sony, uh, are how they uh, process the electronics in it. And I suspect that what you're, uh, with all respect, the lower-priced Vizio uh, is doing is it's yeah, less than best processing on the uh, on the on the video blacks. Um, if I were to compare that to my Sony, which with almost the same uh, flat panel display in it, I have perfect blacks all the way down uh, to one or ten percent, no problem. Go recording. This sounds a lot like burn-in. Uh, did you buy this OLED TV from a uh, a dealer where it may have sat on a uh, showroom floor with a permanent little uh, logo or something across the bottom of it? Because uh, if this appears on all scre all screens and all channels, 
uh, down at low brightness, like just a difference in shade uh, in an area. It sounds like burn-in. There's not really a whole lot you can do to it. There's ways to exercise the pixels, but generally, uh, once it's burned in, uh, there's not much that you can do about it. And don't run your, if you don't run your OLED at full brightness, if you're going to be watching things like CNN or anything that has, you know, persistent lower thirds or uh, a logo or, uh, you know, in the corner uh, all the time, because you will see little patches on other shows now. Yeah, that I decided a, long, a while ago that I just wasn't willing to deal with the the issues around OLED, even if it looked really, really great mostly because of these issues of burning and you just, it creates, there's like, you know, there's range stress, you know, when it comes to a, a battery uh, powered car, um, range anxiety. And for me, it was burning anxiety. I had an OLED and I had this, we had, the, we had one in the office that had a note on it, like, do not leave this on, do not, da, da, da. and it was like so much thought process around not leaving, leaving that monitor on that I was like, I, I just don't want to, I don't, I don't want one of these. <laughs> go, go ahead, Chris. Uh, <clears throat> I, the last real job I had, I, I, uh, Courtney real mentioned job. burning something on the uh, from a showroom floor. I sold TVs in the in the mid '80s, and uh, the guy I worked for, he would take the you know obviously old CRTs. He would always open the TVs from the bottom, and he had invested in the same cardboard stapler that they used to staple close the the heavy duty cardboard boxes with big CRTs in them. And he, he, he had no shame in pulling the TV out, putting it on the floor, putting it back in upside down and stapling it and selling it as brand new. Yeah. And it, Oh, it really bothered me. I was like, you're kidding. Uh, okay. Your, yeah. your ah. store, do what yeah. you want. Right. Ouch. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. CJ. I, took some time to try to look into a couple of the you know audio video forums about the LG or I'm sorry about the Vizio OLEDs in particular it looks like they took a three-year pause at some point in manufacturing OLEDs at all because the first ones that came out had quality issues and that the new ones are supposedly doing better uh, as far as processing goes uh, well, so I'm not sure if that has anything to do with it. Yeah, and remember, it's not just processing. Um, so when you're buying a more expensive monitor, it means that it went through a more rigorous test process. And when you're buying a less expensive monitor, they got the ones that didn't get through that test process. A lot of times those monitors on the really expensive one were made at the same factory with the same specs, and they just didn't. And the ones that are cheaper were like they their, their room for error was higher than the ones that were um, that are the, the very high high end ones. And so it's, you know, that happens a lot of times, like with chips, when you think about why is a chip rated as as this or that or the other, they're all they all came out of the same wafer. It's just that one passed this level, and another one passed another level. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I'm not bragging, but I paid almost $4,000 for the uh, Sony OLED when I first got it. And I'm sure that the Vizio was substantially less than that for all the reasons that Alex just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, although when you're watching most streaming, you wouldn't know because it's all macro blocked anyway. Uh, not that I'm bitter. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us uh, from Mandy Van Cleve in Monroe, Ohio. Another uh, QR code submitted question. Thank you for the tip about mono audio that resolved a longstanding issue in Zoom when listening to only one AirPod. I switched to mono audio and I haven't noticed the issue, issue since. Is this a common problem or something Zoom should fix? I go ahead, Bill. 
So once upon a time when I was starting out in audio, I thought, well, mono is so simple. I mean, it's got to be easy. It turns out mono is not that easy. And I think it may be in part because it co we come from a world where stereo is so popular. So you end up with this left and right different signal. And then you want to listen to it on one thing. So you think, well, I'll just collapse it. But there's all sorts of things that happen when you combine two sides of a stereo signal into mono, not the least of which, if you want to go down a small rabbit hole, is the pan law about panning to the center two things that were set up and recorded to be in the sides. Um, mono is a little more complicated. And one of the things I've noticed, I think that's one of the reasons that I'm so fond of loopback, to be able to take two signals and to literally, rather than just summing them dumbly, kind of combine them into one output channel so that I can feed something like an IFB, um, I, I, I found that was much more useful than my old days young self who would just say, I'll take a Y cable and plug it into one and, and then make it into two or two worse and make it into one. You also have issues like phase cancellation. If the two signals that you're feeding into the mono are a little out of phase, you can have all sorts of comb filtering and weirdness that happens. So it takes a little study to do mono out of in the world well. But if you can, it makes things so much simpler. Next question. Uh, moving to Douglas Carmichael on the next one. The local electric co-op where I live will be offering symmetrical fiber service in the summer of 2024. Currently, I have one gigabit up and down, uh, one gigabit down and 50 megabits up. Uh, would there be any benefit to two gigabits up and down versus one gigabit up and down for remote production? Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, Douglas, if what you have is working for you and one gig down and 50 meg up is pretty darn good. Um, the only thing you're going to find if you keep uh, searching for something else is probably problems. So I would stay with what you have. Good, Bill. Yeah, the one thing that I would say is that if you do a lot of uploading, if you're feeding content to somebody, the fact that you can double your upload bandwidth may turn out to be useful to you in a business use case where you're producing content and need to get it up to someplace fast. That's the one thing I would look at. Yeah, I would agree with Bill. I, I, I have a one gig at home, I have a one gig down and uh, 40 up, and the 40 up kills me all the time. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, it's going to take so long. Like I downloaded last night, I downloaded a uh, 330 gig file to do some work on. So that was, and that took about, that took my one gig um, about uh, 40 Oh, I'm sorry, four hours to take to bring down. It, it, it didn't go full one gig. It was running at two or three hundred meg, uh, two, two or three hundred megs a second um, for four hours to bring down this 330 gig file. I am not going to be able to upload it again. Like, you know, in the time frame, I'm going to have to find somebody with a faster connection than I have or fly it down um, to to get it there on a drive. There's just it's just it would be astronomical days a day to, to you know, or more. To, to upload it. So that's the that's the problem. Go ahead, CJ. I was so excited when I moved into somewhere that had a one gig symmetrical connection. And then I was the first job that I did where I was trying to it wasn't a it wasn't a feature length anything, but I was trying to get the deliverables to the client. And then all of a sudden it wasn't my internet that was the bottleneck. It was what service was I using. And uh, so that's why uh, what service you're using like a if you're using a Dropbox or a Google Drive, you're going to not going to get nearly the kind of speeds that you get with a Frame IO. Yeah. So just you know, keep in mind your whole pipeline. You might not be the bottleneck if your speeds get that fat. Yeah, the yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Google and and I mean, Google and Dropbox for production with any files of any size are like oof, 
Like it's just, it just, it just makes you sad. Um, Frame.io will saturate your line. So whatever your line will do, Frame.io will fill it. Um, the one that I was downloading yesterday was Aspera, which is a kind of a more industrial version of that, um, which does the same thing. <laughs> like I'm going to take up all the bandwidth that you have. Uh, you're not going to do anything else, but we're going to get the file down as fast as we can. So uh, also note that if you're, if you're doing, like I'm careful of not turning Aspera or Frame.io on while I'm doing the show. Because I know that they'll they'll clunk the show if I if I do that. Uh, next question. Next one comes from Funchak Dorji in Dharamshala, India. Greetings. I was asked to typeset a messed up style Word document. Is there an AI solution where I can run the doc, which is thirty two pages, into a fix the si styles AI type thing? Thanks. I, I'm curious what you mean by styles. So. Uh, if what you're looking for is the actual styles of every of every object in there, um, if they're and and I will say this is really actually an important conversation related to pro, uh, of of stuff. I think that the, typically if someone gives me something, everything's everywhere, and they just bolded things and they just made this bigger or whatever. I will admit that I on a 32 something quote unquote that short, I would probably find that the least the path of least resistance would be to convert it to a text-only document and then bring it back into a non-text-only document. And then I would go through and select things. And what the first thing I would do is on the first couple pages, I would define styles. So if you're talking about the styles being all messed up, I very carefully, and I don't use Word, but in pages, I very carefully um, set my styles. So this is my header. This is my, this is this, this is this, this is the body, this is the captions, this is, the, you know, and I'm, and I, and I make sure that as I go through my document, I never hit bold. I never make characters bigger. I never do anything. I set a style and I live by those styles. And if I don't want to, I change those styles. But I never, ever, ever do something to the text itself so that, it, so that it's running free. Um, because that is the that is the heart of unhappiness, um, you know, the heart, like just the <laughs> of like a document. Um, and I've been, I used to be before I did video, I did prepress, and so my my you know, and I did I did design for documents and stuff like that. And so you get very very religious. In Quark Express, we had all this processing that we did and everything else. But I um, but that's super important. Once you do that, now everything is quick. Like I don't like the look of that. You change the entire document at one time. I don't like this. You change the entire document. But try to be rules based when you approach those things. Um, but at thirty two pages, which again I would consider a relatively short document, um, I would probably you know muscle through. It probably to redefine all the styles would probably take me about ninety to one hundred twenty minutes. You know to to get it to be like this is everything we want on a thirty two page document, assuming that you have a lot of variation. Uh, if it didn't have a lot of variation, then it would probably take me half an hour. I go ahead, Bill. Yeah, text is not text is not text. And and I think part of the person is there's a basic ASCII character set that the entire world's supposed to understand. That is the flattest, lowest common denominator of text. But it doesn't do very much in terms of, you know, bolds and, and underlines and how does it handle italics and what about uh, superscript and subscript and does it get all that stuff? And the answer is often no. So there's kind of a mezzanine format in between called RTF, or rich text format, that is a little more, it's a little less fully compatible with everything, but it'll carry some of the basic typesetting information. But then you get up to the specifics that companies have programmed into their documents that let them do all the really 
fine typesetting stuff. I mean, I need to do equations and I need to have superscript yeah, and subscript I don't know. And, the same thing. and I'm guessing that if you got this and it's all messed up and it's 32 pages, it probably is not the, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying, but it yeah. probably is not, well, not I, the challenge there. Yeah, but it, I agree with Alex that you strip out, you know, the only way to really deal with it universally for every user is to strip out everything down to just plain ASCII set mm -hmm. and then set it in whatever you're going to use it for. That'll get it right. Mm -hmm. Asking it to translate yeah. from, you know, yeah, don't, old word perfect getting, to something else. Get, getting back to the get erase, erasing everything is usually the best. You, you think that it'll take longer. It will not. It will be much faster to just get everything out of there and go back and fix it. The only time that's not the case is if you, not that I'm bitter, but if you cut and paste out of Discord and put it into text edit and then hit text only, you just get a clump of of words. Like it's you know, so there are there are there are limits to this. I go ahead, Chris. Yeah, this kind of falls into what I call being smart but not intelligent. And so a lot of times people and and the key to what Alex just said there is that. Um, you have to understand, really understand how the, the software works and understanding how things like headers or style guides work is a huge, is a huge benefit. Like if you take something like PowerPoint where you have, you know, um, I can't remember what they call them, uh, in Keynote and PowerPoint. It's, uh, the template screen, you know, the, uh, I, I never know what anything is called, but, but if you start changing things inside if you don't do it in the master slide, I think it's called the master slide. If you don't set up your styles right in the master slide, changing things on a 32 page document or a 32 slide, you know, a slideshow is really hard. But if you understand how in, and again, in a slide deck, it's called a, a master slide. And the same thing goes for a, a text document. You have to set up those style guides. And, and I would bet that less than 10%, maybe as low as 5% of the people that use Word, maybe even less than that, come to think of it, even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They just see a word and they go, oh, I want this bold, to be bold. bold or I want it to be go, 42 points instead of 24 then points. Then I go and, to the next page. I go, oh, yeah. here's another header. Make that one. That, wait, what size did I make that? I made that yeah, 42 yeah, bold. Exactly. Okay, come down here. And then go to th scroll, scroll, scroll. No, you have to set up those things. Yeah. And very, very few people understand that. So what Alex is saying is, is spot on. You set up the framework first, then flow your text into it. Yeah. And it just fixes. And, it, and it's especially when you decide you want all the headers to be slightly different. Like it's just, Can I say one, one other thing? Yeah. This is why I bought my first computer. I, I was very late to the computer world. I bought my first computer in uh, November of 1989. And I was working on the Computer Chronicles show, and somebody came in showing Aldous Persuasion, and I and he did the demo where he's like, and I'm going to change the, the header, and it's changed on every slide. Yeah, it blew my mind. I was like, I might have to learn these computer things. <laughs> next, next question. Next one comes to us from Dan Huber in Erie, Pennsylvania. And Dan says, I have a reconstruction project for our basketball and event center. I need to install displays in the locker rooms. They're fairly close to the showers. I'm concerned about moisture and humidity. Any experience installing in wet environments? Good, Mitchell. Yeah, I've seen that done before. And one name comes up all the time is Peerless. They make a lot of great outdoor speakers. Uh, that are armored or at least uh, water resistant. I don't think anything is actually waterproof. And oh, by the way, while I'm at it, uh, for all you uh, Christmas folks that are buying uh, flat panels, please don't mount them over your fireplace. That's a rookie move. 
The um, uh, putting them in a wet environment, of course, you know, you may want to think about enclosing them um, and then also, uh, you know, being able to have some kind of way to evacuate that air around it um, if, you, if, you, if you really want to push on it. But what I would say is uh, don't spend a lot of money on the monitor and have a budget to replace them. I mean, they just, it is not going to, uh, every place that I've worked, I, I used to work at a, I used to work at a YMCA a long time ago and we replaced them like another life ago. I was a fitness instructor of all things. Um, anyway, so the, uh, um, and uh, they went through the monitors once a year. They just took them all out and put them new ones in because they slowly, dis- they just slowly disintegrated. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I agree with Alex. Buy the cheap monitors, put them on the walls. Don't put them in the showers, but, you know, in the locker rooms, okay. Uh, don't enclose them in anything because the openness of the monitor will actually let the heat of the monitor will evaporate the moisture off the boards. Uh, but if you enclose it, it's going to trap that moisture inside. Uh, so uh, just like he, like he said, make a budget, get the $200 ones at, at Best Buy when they're on sale. And when one zaps out, Replace it with another one. Next question. Next one comes from Stefan Fischer of Würzburg, Germany. And the question is, what makes the files of screen recording so large compared to other video data? For example, on a DVD, which is 4.7 gigabytes max, I think I reach hundreds of megabytes very soon with poorer quality than on a DVD. I go ahead, Bill. Yeah, if you're just recording the pixels on a screen, you have no chance to use any of the superb and amazing compression schemes that they do. And to make it real simple, I mean, if the next 40 pixels are black, you can go black, 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 black and describe each one. Or you can do a little algorithm that says black, 40, stop. And that describes exactly the same thing. So that's kind of a a really dumbed down version of compression and encoding and if you're using none, just capturing all of you don't get any of that. So it's going to be the max size file. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and if you're doing, it depends on what kind of screen recording you're doing. If you're doing screen recording from your computer and you've got a 4K display or something, it's having to try and compress that 4K down and in real time to a frame to stay up because uh, and your computer is having to deal with putting images on the screen and capturing and compressing them and putting them on the hard drive at the same time. Better solution is just to get a HD recorder, outboard recorder, run your HDMI output through it, hit the button, it'll do H.264 recording in real time uh, at about 10 megabits, which is pretty good. A lot of the screen recorders don't compress that much, as Bill was saying. It it'll tries to do interframe compression, not intraframe compression, so it doesn't do long GOP compression uh, in software. And so it ends up with much larger, uh, much larger file size. Of course, you can take those larger file sizes and compress them down if you need to send them to someone, use compressor or some other uh, application that will take a video file and recompress it to a different format. Yeah, the 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 um, if you're using kind of a built-in system now, QuickTime will do it in H.264 or ProRes, um, but if you do it in, a, in a, but it'll be a very very large file because it, again, it's just grabbing onto all the data. And oftentimes it can be a much higher resolution than what you need. Uh, ScreenFlow uh, by Telestream and Camtasia will both do an intermediate file that's very small, and it actually will then compress only the way you need it to. The advantage of a screen capture program like ScreenFlow is that it separates your mouse from what you're doing. So if you want to capture the the what you're doing and have the mouse be separate so that you can make it bigger, you can have keystrokes appear over it, you can do all, all kinds of things in their editing package. So you get a lot more out of it. 
I admit I never use that. Um, I, I always, I think that it's great and I always think that I should use it, but then I just end up, I have my computer plugged into a, a PIX240 we talked about earlier. And I like Courtney and I hit record, I have a big screen, I hit record, I record it. <laughs> and, and the reason I do that mostly is because I oftentimes am showing graphics applications that will drop frames if I'm trying to screen capture while I'm doing it. So it just looks like another monitor to the computer, which makes it a, a, the performance a lot higher. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Carlos Rojas in Washington, D.C. Returning to the subject of repurposing an iPad as a monitor, what's the earliest model or version that allows this feature, or is there even an external device the panel can recommend? Go ahead, Jason. Ooh, um, you know, I looked far and wide for this. As far as native support on, on Mac OS, it's really going to depend more upon the... the, it's, um, when the it's when the first USB-C was out, and I think that that was 2018. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's the, um, so that would be the iPad mini 6th generation. Mm, I don't know if it's iPad mini. I wouldn't use an iPad mini for that, but I, I have the Pro. I think the Pro was the first one out that had the, the USB-C. Um, so the Pro 2018, I think, was the first USB-C one, I believe, if it, or the 20, because I have a 2018 right here. <laughs> so I think that that's the one that, that was the first one out there. Um, next question. Next question comes from Robert Sababity in Poland. All my cameras are Panasonic, for example, Panasonic sensors, just for ease of setting white levels and colors. I now have the opportunity to buy some four-thirds, micro-four-thirds, I guess, Blackmagic Pocket Cinema cameras, 4K. Will color matching and white level setting be a challenge? Uh, typically, there'll be much less of a challenge than the Panasonic ones. Now, you're doing just white balance, and that's fine. As you have, once you have a Blackmagic camera, if if you're going into a Blackmagic switcher, you now have all the controls that a Blackmagic um, switcher has. You have kind of a Da Vinci style controller that allows you to affect color, which is super useful. So, um, so I would, uh, I would, I think you'll actually be. It'll be much easier. You have more control, and with great power comes great responsibility. It's easier for you to. Screw it up, um, but uh, but I think that you can. Uh, but overall, you have more con you have more control. But it might be harder if you dig into that control too far. Next question. David in London has: Do you have any suggestions for arranging a visually engaging two-person video podcast in a compact living space? Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, there's different ways of shooting this, and we've talked about this in the past, but. Um, you know the way I do it in my my space is um, just because I'm also in a uh, you know I use my my home studio, so I got to make that space work. And I have a bit of a rectangular room, so I've got a couch, and then I've got um, you know the the guests that usually sit on the couch, and then I've got the host that sits on a chair opposite that. Um, you know, as far as visually engaging. Colored lights help. I usually try to put something behind the subject to create some kind of separation between the foreground and the background. Um, so that's what I usually try to achieve. Um, I'll, I'll show more of that later in the second hour. But um, of course, you can also do round table, you know, where two people are sitting across from each other and do sort of the over the shoulder shot where you try to get as much of their face dead on as well because I know like Alex Lindsay has said in the past you want to get the far corner of the eye there and not do that sort of side old school broadcast side profile thing yeah and and I will say that I mean we can do it I I actually prefer doing things online where we're looking straight at both people uh, I know that that but but you can definitely do it the, I agree with everything Alex said otherwise uh, next question Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. What differentiates sound devices, noise assist, technically from a gate? Go ahead, Alex. Well, I'm pretty sure the um, uh, 
the noise assist stuff is their own secret sauce. So technically, I don't know what they're doing there, but it's it's probably some kind of broadband noise reduction. It's not just a a noise gate, as you say. One thing I want to make clear too is there's often um, the term noise gate is often interchanged sometimes with downward expansion, and those are two different ways of pushing down uh, background noise. A noise gate is typically um, I wish really it's moments like this. I wish I had a telestrator, but um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, uh, basically, I mean, it, the noise gate is going to be uh, a much larger ratio, and it's going to be more abrupt. So, for example, if in live sound, for example, if you've got a drummer and you've got them smashing on a tom, you want that noise gate to basically close really fast, and that that doesn't work really well for speech. Um, so, a downward expander is much more gentle, uh, so it's much more natural, a, and it's not going to cut off the tail end of a word or the beginning of a, of a syllable. Right. And, and the difference between all of these, the dynamic controls, whether it's an expander or a, control, or a gate, and, the, um, and, and noise assist. Noise assist is actually removing noise. Like it is a very complicated algorithm that is analyzing the background noise, looking at the foreground noise, and actually removing that noise. It's not cutting off. It's not just going, what you'll hear with an expander or a gate is you'll hear noise while someone's talking. And then you'll hear no noise because it went down. It pushed it down because nothing else was going on. So it's not, it's a very dumb device in the sense that it just goes, okay, nothing's happening right now. I'm going to make it quiet. And that's great if you, if that's all you have. What noise assist is doing is actively taking out that background noise all the way through the entire thing when you're, when you're talking and when you're not talking, um, which is a, just a much more powerful solution. Next question. Next one comes from John Fisher in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For your information, new mini PC from Mealy, M-E, uh, capital L-E, out now, overclocked 4C with an Intel N95 and up to 32 gigabits, uh, gigabytes of RAM with active cooling. It's got a fan. It's 329 U.S. dollars, manufactured suggested retail price, 265 after the coupon that's on Amazon now. I don't know why, but when he's listening to it, all I wanted to say is, cheese, Gromit. Um, anyway, so uh, it's cheese, you know, so uh, it's, it looks good. Looks good. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Wesley Dale. Anyway, next question. Pedro G. Gonzalez in, uh, oh, why is that not showing up on my screen here? There we go. Oklahoma City. Thank you. Uh, Tascam Model 16 is not only an analog mis- mixer, it's also an audio interface, and it has a built-in recorder. It's three devices, three, three, and one, hence the $800 price tag. It's great for doing live performances that can also be live-streamed. Still feels like it's a lot of money for uh, what it's doing. Like, there's a lot of things that at $800 to record um, and do to be able to have an audio interface that has a built-in recorder. I mean, at $800, you are really close to a mix pre three, <laughs> like, you know, at that point with noise assist, uh, as we just talked about, I think that you're, you're close there. Yeah. Go to Courtney. And I would look at it. I don't know if it does uh, local record of multi-channel ISOs. It, since it's an analog mixer, it may not be recording all those analog channels separately. It may just be recording the two-channel stereo left and right that is converted to USB. It depends on the USB converter that they built in there, whether it's multi-channel or not. But um, a lot of those that offer recording only record the left-right mix out uh, internally. Oh, you. Oh, so you're not sure if it's recording the entire all the tracks. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have that. But since it's an analog mixer, it may not be converting each track to digital before it sends it 
mixes them down. It may only be recording the mix track. Some of those cheaper mixers, some of the cheaper analog mixers that have USB out, don't deliver all the channels ISO right. to the USB interface. They only they only deliver two channels in, yeah. two channels out. But at eight hundred dollars, I'd be really tempted to spend a little bit more and have a mix pre yeah. rather than a than a mixer. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Alex. Yeah, the model series does multi-track recording to both SD uh, card and as well as the USB interface. That's great. We're going to be talking about our studios here in just a second. Um, just a quick reminder, of course, that we have uh, a new panelist uh, meeting tomorrow. Now, I think a lot of people are confused. You don't have to come to all the meetings. We have a meeting every week, but it does, it's not for all of you. Uh, so the panelist meeting is tomorrow. Uh, the, pan, the new panelist, if you're interested in being a panelist, I'll hang out with you for, at nine o'clock tomorrow and we'll talk about it. Uh, if you are already a panelist, come to the next week. If you're new to volunteering, you come to the next week. If you're if you want to talk about volunteering, you come to the next week. So, so they're, they're, they're there. You don't have to come to all of them, um, but you'll see announcements go out for that. So stay tuned. And now we're going to jump into the second hour. Welcome back to the second hour. And if you've got questions, as you see us start to uh, work through these, um, uh, go ahead and throw those in. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit. We do this every once in a while. I don't think we've done it for maybe a year or even more uh, where we kind of show what's interesting is what's on the other side of these cameras. Because a lot of times, you know, it looks like, you know, we just are sitting here in our house. <laughs> it's rarely the case. So um, so anyway, so I'm going to let the, the panelists start to kind of pick up their, put together their pieces here. And I'm going to try to wire mine in. I I have it here. I'll try to show you a little bit about what I'm working on there. I don't know if anyone else wants to jump in while I put my last little wire in. I just got to connect it up. No, nope. everyone's like, we're just going to wait for Alex to do this. So, um, yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I'll dive in. What the heck? So, uh, rigs. So, I'm sitting in a spare bedroom um, where I live, and let me just cut to the shot. So we'll go there first. So this is kind of my setup. Um, and I'll kind of go through and describe it just generically and overall. Uh, on the left, I have a monolith that I run Discord because I want to get information from that over the course of the time. There's my hand. You can see it. Um, there's one of my two little facial fill lights. I also, my main key light is overhead with a grid on it. You can see just the bottom of that at the top end of things. Uh, I, that's my left-hand monitor. My right-hand monitor over here shows me the, the general shot that's going out. My gallery is in the teleprompter there. My laptop sits before, and the laptop drives the whole thing. It's the only computer I have in this system. I also have two additional external things, an iPad over here on the right that is hooked up through HDMI into the Atom Mini Switcher, which is sitting right up there. So if I were to change to my shot, I just tap this, and it can go there or to the uh, – that's the – iPad over here. So often if I'm using Keynote to show examples of something or go through a slide deck for additional information, that comes in on the right. All of them through the Blackmagic Atom Mini. And then uh, my Rolls mic mute sits under here. I talked about that a lot. Uh, oh, let me go back to the wide shot. Uh, and so this sits, hides here quietly under the corner of the desk and through the whole course of the show, that's all I do is just keep my finger on that. And when I take it up, I get cut mid mid display um and there's something we can't show you that is normally right in front of me that is a show view that is proprietary and that is the system i try to keep my eyes as much as possible on the center monitor which is my kind of eye contact monitor but you can see above that uh the bigger monitor 
my eyes are drawn up there because, you know, I, I can see more information and I can read things like text up there. But when I do that, if I am on, and this has been one of the things to learn how to do for office hours, if I do it, I'm looking up there. So, I, I, you know, I don't know if that looks like I'm looking to heaven for guidance or something like that. It's much better if I use the smaller monitor in the setter because that helps me make eye contact. So those are the little subtle things as you set up yourself and your, your work working with lighting to try to make it look as good as possible. But there's a lot of complexity to get a simple little shot. Uh, and I think almost everybody you'll see going through this, you'll be surprised at how much time and effort we took to try to make it look as good as possible. Good, CJ? Yeah, so I took a uh, the what was a 15 by 10 kind of mechanical room in my basement where the uh, water heater and the furnace live. And I decided that I was going to build an office into it and then uh, slowly wanted to look better in meetings. And before you knew it, uh, I was getting a lot of guidance from office hours. So what you're seeing now is uh, just a view of me at the desk. Uh, I actually set up two iPhones uh, mirroring to Apple TVs. So this is my super source. Uh, so what you'll see in front of me is I've got my uh, over here on the right, I've got scopes and a little focus check where I can see. Uh, my eyes to make sure that because I don't have a nice fancy Sony camera in front of me here is where I'm using my uh, my research. So when there's a question that I'd like to make sure that I'm getting right, I do a little bit of homework before I answer it. Over here is usually a Makana chat. And then up on this screen is the view out of the ATEM. Here on the desk, ATEM Extreme ISO, the Fenwick cord control, and then a bunch of Stream Deck buttons. And then what you see up here is an old iPad Pro uh, from 2018, I think, that's uh, mirroring up the uh, the gallery view so that I can look into everybody uh, in the teleprompter, and that's just working over Duet. Above me is uh, a little bit of a modified version of something that was an Alex recommendation, which was really just PVC, cheap PVC, half-inch PVC from Home Depot with some diffusion fabric grommeted and then suspended from the ceiling, but yeah. And lots of lots of room treatment, as you can see. I'm trying to make a nice, quiet room with no reflections. So between moving blankets and foam, that's what we got. That's great. All right, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so I am in my, my apartment uh, here. Let me just get into my camera switcher here. Um, so I just wanted to point out a couple things. I'm going to go to a wide shot here. I will start with acoustic treatment, which is where I normally start. Um, I have uh, prime acoustic panels pretty much on every surface of this place. Uh, on the walls, uh, I've got the cloud panels on the ceiling and various bass traps. I mean, you can see the bass traps behind me in my normal shot and my lights are all mounted led panels are mounted on the ceiling as well uh and i have a lot of them i use micro four thirds cameras um some of my cameras are point and shoot i'm trying to standardize on on uh, panasonic lumix g sevens uh so uh, my main camera is a, a panasonic g7 which i have in front of me which is annoyingly right in front of my 43 inch quad lg display which i got to figure out a solution for because it's very annoying but the lg tv is on a motorized stand which i can demonstrate there so you can see it uh, slowly moving up which is pretty nice so i can get that monitor completely out of the way there 
Um, as far as the video chain is, I've got a ATEM Mini Extreme ISO switcher in front of me in one of those PK stands, so it gets better airflow. You can't really see that. It's behind the stream deck here, buried there. I've got uh, five cameras in total. One of them is not currently hooked up. Uh, my other monitors, I've got two 27-inch Apple Cinema displays, one on each side of me, which at some point I'm going to get VESA mounted. Then I have a ViewSonic 23-inch uh, touchscreen display here, which is hooked up to a, a Melee PC, which controls the web interface for my Soundcraft UI24R digital mixer, which is really, really nice. Um, and of course, I never have enough monitors. I'll cut to another shot uh, where you can see the let's go to the couch there i've got re20s mounted on elgato uh, low profile mic stands one on each side of the couch for each guest and then my uh client that usually sits in and this shot's going to be completely blurry when i switch to it for some reason the autofocus is completely messed up he uses an re27 mic on a low profile uh, and he sits in a chair over here right next to me and I'll go back to to my shot. I've got a Stellar X2 condenser microphone in front of me, which I'm currently uh, using and I'm pretty satisfied with. And that's pretty much it. There's no processing, no no compression. Uh, the only thing I have is a very gentle high-pass filter on my microphone at 65 hertz, so I'm rolling off some of that low end. But other than that, there's, there's nothing else really going on. Good, Jason. Oh man, where to start? Okay, um, I guess I'll just I'll, I'll follow suit and and, um, and start with a wide too. Um, a lot of the stuff on the shelf is actually used a lot. One of my favorite things is a bunch of tiny little drawers, and all of the ISO recording that I can do in encoders are down directly behind and below me. Um, studio monitors X32, which is what runs all of the sound in the in the um, stack of Mac Minis that. It sensibly runs the studio and then a whole bunch of lights. Let me see if I got, do I have a Y just to do, there we go. So when I sit down, this is what I see. And um, instead of having entirely too many monitors, I was able to, to get a 32-inch 4K TV that does quad multiplexing. So I can take any one of those. Um, there's the stack of Mac Minis. Uh, the studio's at the bottom, and then there's an OWC um, additional whatever they're called, the stackable ones. And um, from there to Stream Decks, a, um, an ATEM, security cameras, and um, let me think. Oh, yeah, iPad. After that, uh, studio display, 6K Pro with uh, prompter people, little teleprompter right there, two combed lights, and then um, what I'm effectively... or um, Lovingly calling the BlackBook Pro, which is not black, by the way. The M M3 Pro is uh, not, not black. That's just all there is to it. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Um, so what do the Mac Minis do? This, too, is standardized. So um, all of the meters, where is my super source? All the meters for, for voice go through one. Scopes on the same one. That's an M1. The other one's an M2. And... Um, and then I've got multi-view all the way down on the bottom. So I can see all of those things in the lower right corner. The one next to that is the X32, which gives me a live uh, sound output of just this microphone so that I can't mess anything up. And um, that's the long and the short of it.
go ahead, Courtney. Well, unlike all the rest of you, I don't really have a separate room designed for a studio. This is my living room, as you can see behind me. So uh, that's the rest of the living room. I did I did take a picture this morning. I don't have multiple cameras, but we can take a look at what I'm looking at. Uh, there's a 124-inch screen here and a 15-inch screen, which is the output of the uh, uh, switcher down here. I have the... Uh, uh, Roadcaster Pro and my amp and my uh, ATEM Mini uh, Pro. There's my mouse pad. Underneath here is the. Uh, you can't see it because it's really dark. There's three computers down there. There's uh, a Dell, and then there's a Melee, and then there's this little J4 that I just keep standing by for additional inputs. I have comms over here on a separate Windows tablet, which is set up for touch. I have my camera is a, um, a Canon. Uh, MX50 Mark II. There's the Moai looking over me. And my lighting is, I have a little light down here. It's reflecting of a white card now to light underneath my hat. And up here, I have a Niwar 15-inch um, uh, light panel, which it swings out on this little arm here. And I adjust it. I either waste it into the printer here, which is stacked on top of this wooden console is holding everything here in the corner of my room. Uh, and I've used this little wood console to hold my computers for 40 years. So it's gone from starting with a uh, Radio Shack Model 1 to an Atari 800s and then on to uh, PCs. I have a Mac Mini under here somewhere. There's a little speaker, an anchor speaker right here that I put uh, put everybody on when I'm stepped away so I can hear what's going on. But that's what my setup is. Sorry, I don't have all the, uh, you know, the camera crew here and uh, the extra cameras to shoot. He normally does. He normally yeah, does. Yeah. That gave him the day off. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. Can't hear you, Chris. Okay. Mute. Oh, there yeah, go. okay. So uh yeah, uh I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. I think it's uh it's pretty complicated. Uh let me just do sorry, apologize. Here's my setup. It's pretty complicated. <laughs> Don't stop it. <laughs> in the center there, you're going to see it's a computer. Now, it's one yeah. of those fancy ones that has a screen and the keyboard. And to the right of it in black, <laughs> there's, a little, uh, there's a little hard drive and a microphone. It's impressive. Uh, it's impressive. Off to the side, you can see there's a ring camera. Uh, no, it's not a ring camera. I think it's a Nest. Gonna, I think you should show us what. Upgrading. I know this is the one you use. This is your daily driver. But, this but is my what daily you, what, driver. What do you yeah. use on the weekend? What do you use on the weekend? Show us, show us your weekend. <laughs> So the, the reason I say that is that I wanted to do that is this is absurdity. This is really, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous that slowly grows. And, uh, at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of COVID actually, I want to, sh I, this is, uh, interesting to see here. Um, do, 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 where's my mouse? Okay. So I'll close that one. Um, at the beginning of COVID, uh, I had to run away and I, this is my old edit suite. And the, the day of the lockdown, I grabbed all the stuff that I needed immediately. And I bailed out of this edit suite. I ended up coming back a few weeks later to grab a few more things. But, um, and then the, and then within a couple of days I was working here and I can remember Alex was like, you know, I, I, I hear something really loud, but that was my, uh, my raid sitting on the desk. 
So I got rid of that. And it does, it does change and it evolves over time. Uh, currently, and I will say that the desk that I sit at now, I used to look at and go, what kind of a nerd needs to sit there? But what happens is it slowly evolves. It's like, hey, you know what? I do kind of need a monitor for that. And then there was one day where I lost a bunch of recordings. And I was like, oh, you know, I should, I, I need to have an output of, of that thing to be able to confirm things. So anyway, um, you can kind of see it here. And actually, I might even be able to show you here, make sure everything is safe. Yeah. So that's, you know, the Zoom ISO happens up there. This is my editor. And then this is all input and output to the world Zoom. And then I'm, I'm currently only using the little camera here. I just, when I moved to my mom's house, I, I never really got around to, to switching back to uh, the, the, the big one, the 6K, whatever. Uh, but, and then there's a laptop over here. I'll also say, if I can, am I the last one in the list, Alex? CJ's going to do something, then I'm going to, and then I'll. Okay. Uh, I have something else I want to say about planning uh, when it's appropriate. So anyway, but yeah, it evolves slowly over time. That first picture I showed you was really um, the first week I bought my house and I had, a, I had a room that I was like, I put my laptop down. I go, God, this is going to be a fun room one day. Unfortunately, I'm not in that uh, room right now. <laughs> go ahead, CJ. Yeah, and to respond to Dan's question there in the uh, in the chat, that is a real deal um, flux capacitor back there uh, behind me. So we're going back in time. Yeah. Uh, it was just the LEDs were a little bright, and so we uh, <laughs> what there's a little, there's two sheets of ND taped over it, and then the other one there's a uh, there's the old iMac that's really really running after dark, so the toasters are flying in the background. <laughs> that's great. Um, let's see here if I can make sure I can uh, let's see this is all that like make sure everything's legal alright um, uh, oh yeah see I almost blew it hold on let me give me one second sorry I was so ready and then I realized that I hadn't checked my screens and I have I have a screen that has things on it that I can't I can't Alex would you like me to do mine while you're yeah, setting yeah, things yeah. up yeah go ahead Okay, it's no big deal, but you got to show it. Anyhow, uh, my situation was a little different. I have a uh, edit suite, basically. Um, I do editing over here. I do audio over here, and I do zooming right here. Just uh, kind of a whoop. Messed that up, didn't I? Uh, this is the quick shot, side shot of it. I don't have those fancy cameras like you guys have because I put it all into my Sony. But just to give you a, uh, a quick tour, uh, that is my... He's really good with camera, isn't he? Uh, that's my edit suite there with the uh, classic cinema displays. That's where I do all that stuff. And then over here is where I do my uh, audio editing. And over here is my zoom area. And it's not super complicated or good looking like you guys have. It's two monitors, one on one side. And then another monitor on this side, which I have the zoom gallery in. Uh, the camera has a nice little uh, feel good, or in this case, an Andy Cine. Uh, 4K, so I can see the uh, uh, the waveforms. Above it is the uh, the ICAN uh, Interatron, um, which allows me to see myself, Infinity. And above that, inside is my FX3 Sony. Uh, it has a uh, XLR port on the top of it, so I can get the audio direct and uh, always in sequence. There's the ATEM, which we all have. There's the expensive mute button. Uh, there's my stream deck. And um, that's pretty much it, except 
my treatment of the room is a little more involved than uh, uh, maybe most people would be going into a room that already exists. Uh, I've got these uh, Sonos ceiling tiles. I've got a treatment on the walls. And behind me, uh, I've got a, a, a nice little uh, very pole that holds a downlight, which uh, sheds a little light on the back here, and uh, a backlight for my hair. <laughs> Um, and, uh, behind that is a little rack with some servers and some other, uh, cool stuff in it. So that's pretty much it guys. And, uh, I think I got mine kind of working here. So, um, so to give you a little bit of behind the scenes of mine, um, there's my keyboard. <laughs> um, and, uh, so what I have here, you can kind of see it. There's the, the second return view here. I have these four mon these well, five monitors. This one's not on right now. Um, and then I have my, this is my Telestrator. So um, this allows me to change colors. Uh, so I can change my colors here and I can make it th thicker and thinner and so on and so forth. And I keep, keep that all there and that, that all goes in here. Got a couple, um, couple Mac minis. Um, and so uh, the, the main ones that, I'm, that I use here is this is a Zoom one. So I can join Zoom there, uh, application, presentation, and Telestrator. That way, the advantage of that is that I can cut between things very quickly. So when I'm doing a presentation, if I want to do this and then this, I don't have to go, oh, now I'm going to get out of my uh, presentation and jump into an app. I don't, I just cut to the app and I can leave the app in the states that it needs to have. Sometimes I have two app machines like that so I can jump between different things. As someone who comes out of corporate events, you just kind of feel like everything, every little comma that you put in to jump when you're doing a presentation feels painful. So I just got, I just want to be able to cut between things. So that's why all those Mac minis are there. Um, and, uh, and, it, and then Telestrator, of course, draws over top of all of them. The, um, all of these monitors are on, or just about all the monitors are on arms. So I can kind of grab, you know, grab them and move them around a little bit. Um, because, um, you know, I can move them up and down and, and you can see that the, right now they're not quite aligned. Usually they're pretty well aligned because it drives me a little crazy. I just, I just moved them this morning for something else. So anyway, I, my, my, my daughter paints rocks. Um, and there's my, my character from Star Wars. Um, but she, she gives me rocks every once in a while and I keep a collection of them there. It's my lucky charm. Um, and, um, I'm using, there's the Sony, um, that's sitting up there. That's the FX30. Uh, I, I keep a mini to put a teleprompter in there and I have a teleprompter to put in there. I just, it's just it, what happens is this light is a rig, <laughs> like, and I have to I have to lift it up to get the teleprompter in there, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, anyway, this is a that's just this is a, the um, maker pipe, um, so you can see all the maker pipe connections and EMT rail. Uh, this is not safe. I shouldn't do this, and I'm going to put some. It's 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 bowing a little bit. I it really is not what I should be doing here. Anyway, but you can see I built kind of a grid up here with the maker pipe, and I tr put you know all this. Uh, moving blankets around it. I, I'm going to make it look shinier at some point, but the moving blankets, I can't use this mic. This is the Stellar. I can't use that mic without those blankets. My hat, my room is too, uh, too high <laughs> to, to do that. It, it just, it, it's really echoey. Um, occasionally I keep this mic here. Occasionally when I don't feel like having a big mic in front of me, I have the shotgun mic that feeds in so I can just uh, talk and it just looks like I'm sitting there so that, that I can move, you know, move this out of the way. Um, if I, if I, if I need to, um, this is the, the Ultima arm that, that I use. I, I have one of these quick releases, which was, no, I don't have the quick release on here. Sorry. Usually you have a quick release. I must take it off for some reason. So anyway, this is the Ultima arm. It's actually attached to this table over here. This is kind of my work table. So there's lots of cables that I can go grab and do things with. Um, but, um, but this is, uh, this is attached to a different, that way I don't have any movement, you know, that doesn't do anything other than hearing it hit, doesn't shake anything. 
Um, there's the speaker if I'm listening to something or, you know, there's a little melee there that goes into that speaker. So if I just want to have something just working over there, I can do that. In um, mono? In mono, yeah. I know. It's, it's just like, it's usually listen to after hours. Like if I'm going to listen to after hours, that's what that goes through. If I'm listening in stereo, I actually have uh, these Apple, these little, the little Apple speakers um, that I have here. So if I'm listening, if I want to listen to music, I usually put them through those little speakers there. Um, and uh, so I had them laying around and then, um, you know, charging station. So lots of charging, lots of little, these little things clamp onto my, on, onto that, which is, you know, convenient. I have a lot of, a lot of power, um, back, you know, this is, of course, we were talking about this before, uh, same thing as Mitch has the 205. Um, and I, I really like it. Uh, nice thing about it is if I push this down, you'll see it, you'll see it change and you won't be. I let go. So this, if I do a talk back, if I'm using that, we don't, I don't use it as much for this show, but if I'm using that, I can push that down and not know that I'm not going out to show. Um, this is just for my, this is tied directly into my applications computer. The advantage of that is, is that I don't need to cut over. I don't need to KVM over to that computer to control it. I just push that button. So once I get the, my presentation set up, I can just use this to get from slide to slide while I'm doing other things. Um, I have a little, K, you know, a little KVM down here. It's eight channel. Um, works pretty well. It it beeped. This is a they, this is, I don't know tree tech or something like that, and it beeped um, a lot. And so I found that if I opened it, I, I unscrewed it and tore the speaker out, and then it works great. So um, uh, that was – it just it took a little bit of fixing, <laughs> which was to tear the speaker out of the thing. Um, then it makes pre, of course. Um, and I think, you know, I got some routing down there, uh, some just random stuff that, that's there. But I think that's pretty much my little, uh, my little studio there. All right. Now let's go ahead and – do we have anybody? Let's see. I got to look here because I covered that up. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I actually a couple of things I forgot uh, to mention. One thing were were my DMX uh, accent lights. I have not all behind me, but I have a total of seventeen Orion Orcan three Parkans. They're all controlled over Artnet. I've got a Chauvet DMX uh, to Ethernet converter box, so Luminaire is what controls all my lights. I've got eleven of those behind me there, so that's what they look. That really tiny. I need to get those off the floor and mounted on the ceiling because I don't have a lot of space behind me here, and I keep tripping, and it's an absolute hazard. So th that's something that I'm working on. Uh, and uh, the other thing is, as far as computers are concerned, my primary one is a Mac Mini M2, which I soon will be adding another Mac Mini to that with a Pro chip. Uh, I've got two Melee 2s doing different stuff, and then I also have two uh, very old uh, but upgraded uh, Cheese Grater Mac Pros also doing uh, various uh, things as well. So that's uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, plus one on having the Prime Acoustics there. Um Soaking up base. Good, good move there. Hey, Alex, I was curious, looking at your shot, uh, it looks like your camera is about two desk widths away from you. Is that, a, is that about Pretty right? Much. Yep. So it's like way out of your range to reach it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's way out of my range to reach it. It's about, um, I, I think that I, I think it's about 36 or 40 inches, you know, from, from me. And so, and the advantage of that is that, and I've played with it back and forth, it actually allows me to control my background more effectively because yeah. as it moves away, I'm lengthening that lens and I'm cutting away how much background I show. Um, and so that's, I just found that it was like, I've got desks on either side of me and everything, it, you see a little bit of the desks as it is, 
but you really like you can see the little corner over here of this desk, um, which by the way goes up and down, which is very nice. Um, I didn't mention that. Um, the um, but but I if I move the camera forward and go to a wider angle. Um, I end up with a, uh, you see a lot more. I just have to think about the background a lot more. The other thing is, is that I think after using it, I tested it recently after using a Super 35 and a 50. And this is effectively a 50 because this is a Super, it's a it's a 35 lens on a on a sub Super 35 sensor. So that's a very close to a 50 millimeter. I think the 50 millimeter looks more natural. <laughs> like I just think I just think it looks, you know, 50 is generally kind of what people often think of as our eyes. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I do feel like I felt like the days that I came in on a 35, I felt like, and I used to be on 35 all the time for all of the shows. And I, I, I just feel like I like the, I like the 50 better as far and as so, just, and, just the look. And so then in terms of like inventory, you have the sit stand to your right. You have the workbench to your left. Yep. You have a, a low desk and then a slightly higher desk in yep. front of that one. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, and, I'm doing research for the, the build one day. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, definitely this is not optimum. Like this is, I literally, I'm sitting in front of a folding table. Like, you know, like, if you, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, I have two folding tables in front of me and I, you know, it was, it was going to be a temporary solution until I came over to your house and I just is, haven't is done that yet. Is the further one like on Apple boxes or something? No, it's, Why it's, is it it's higher because I folding needed more. Don't normally have adjustable height. These ones, this one's a foldable. It's like a foldable four foot. It's like a party table that, that has the arm, the legs all have little notches on them. You click, 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 click. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I have some of those. Yeah. So they're, they're, you can buy them at Costco for, I don't know. 50, 50 bucks or something. So, um, yeah, so the, I have a really nice, as, as, as nice a folding table as you can have. That's what I get because I attach so many things to it. Um, so I always want ones that are pretty hefty. And so I have a hefty, you know, six foot folding table. I always find eight foot folding tables be difficult to work with. Um, and so I, I tend to not, you only get them at banquet tables. It's a ridiculous design. I don't know how anybody ever came up with eight feet. Six foot is the Six foot is perfect. Yeah. So I, of and then I, barbarians by an eight I, foot. <laughs> I got the work desk thinking that it was much lower than it is. Um, and, uh, so it's much higher, but it turned out to be perfect. It just was not what I expected. And then I decided, well, the second desk I get, this other one, and both of these are like $150 each. I mean, they're not expensive. Um, the second one I got has a little motor in it so I can go up and down and, and that way I could mostly just so I could align it to the desk. Once I aligned it to the desk, I didn't care anymore, but, but I, I have it there and I go over there and I sit at that little desk when Michael Krasny comes in right now, he's coming into my house to record, um, gray matter. And, uh, and so, um, yeah. So anyway, so that's, that's what that looks like. Uh, let's go to the first question. First one comes to us from Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. What long, and he's looking for nine-foot, USB-C cable to buy for an overhead webcam? I find either Thunderbolt or just charging cables on Amazon. Go ahead, Jason. Um, nine feet is a really annoying length. Um, I have had mixed luck with um, OWC makes a USB-C extension cable that will allow that like actually will carry the voltage and won't completely ruin everything. I would give that a shot. Yeah, I, I, I have, um, I've found that, uh, 10 feet, I think is the, um, is the longest I've been able to go. And let me see if I can pull this up here. Uh, this is a, um, let me make sure I got the right length here. Yeah. Oh, it's 9.9 .9 feet. Yeah. So 10 feet. Um, this is the one that, I have, uh, let me see if I can put this over somewhere I can show it. Uh, 
and it's not you know particularly expense expensive. I'll, I'll let me while I get this queued up. Go ahead, Courtney. Oh, Man, I wasn't ready. Uh, Sorry, I, I have fault. a. Uh, I have this one that is a, a USB-C to USB-C. I think it's about seven feet. It may not make the nine feet, but make sure when you're ordering one because you do find them. This is nice and thick. It's not braided, but the thicker ones you will find are, make sure it's rated for passing video. Make sure it's uh, listed as a video extension cable uh, or um, that carries video as well as USB-C data and or power. Uh, because if it doesn't carry video, it's not going to work with your webcam. <laughs> yeah, go good, Bill. Yeah, uh, I was just looking up, and so here's one on uh, Amazon. Uh, the middle one, cable matters, forty gigabit per second, active USB four cable. It's nine point eight feet, uh, hundred watt charging, compatible with Thunderbolt four and three. And I've had a couple of cables that are Thunder Thunderbolt three. And as I moved to better laptops, I found that my Thunderbolt three cables were right at the edge of their capacity. So uh, that's 70 bucks. So it, it's a little more expensive. But in terms of signal passing, the fact that the ports on the computers are getting faster and faster. So Thunderbolt 4 certified makes me feel like I'll probably own it longer if I take care of it and get more value out of it. Yeah. And the one that, that I uh, that I use is this. Um, this is the Anopi. An an <laughs> um, this is... Uh, 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 the, and, and this one I have, I have, I, this is what I pack with each one of the, um, link 360. So in the little case, I have one of these, it's a 10 foot. Um, I, I haven't been successful at getting the link 360 specifically to work over 10 feet. So if I go up to, if I go to 15 feet, there's no cable that I found that will reliably run the link 360. It will work with drives. It'll work with other things. It just won't run the 360 for whatever reason. A couple key things that I look at is obviously the, the length, but also the bandwidth and that it is USB 3.2 Gen 2 data transfer. I mean, 20 gigs is fine for what I'm doing. I also look for the power. So 240 watts. Um, capable. And so this is the one that I've gotten 21 bucks. You can see that the price drops very quickly. Uh, so if you're not, if you're paying less than 20, you're probably not going to get what you need. <laughs> so, um, and, and these I've got, I don't know, six or eight of those. I mean, I bought it two here, two here, but I've got a couple other versions of it. I use the right angle because I'm putting it into a link 360 and I don't want it to come it. Otherwise it hangs out and it creates a larger leverage point on the camera, um, which I haven't damaged a camera, but I feel like I could uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, Stefan, not all cables are made the same. They may not work. Uh, and as Courtney yeah. pointed out, some are for charging. Yeah. Uh, some may not mm -hmm. work at that length. Um, one thing I do insist on, I think Alex does this too, is here I got my product shot thing going, um, is braided cables are fun. Uh, I use braided cables specifically because they don't they don't stick to each other as much. So the reason the technical reason that I use braided cables for most things that I do is because it's easier to wrap them and unwrap them. They tend not to loop up as much. Uh, rubber tends to pull against itself, and so uh, I've become very kind of. And I use like for my headset one. I I don't know if I show that these are headset extensions by I think U Green or something like that, and they're metal braided. And what's nice about them is it's they they slide through everything you know they just don't they don't really get caught up on anything which is really nice i go ahead alex yeah so i've had very good luck with and i've settled on cable matters as a brand for a lot of these types of cables so three six uh and ten foot 
Cable Matters USB 3.1 Gen 2 cables, 10 gigabytes per second um, or gigabits per second is, uh, I, I believe, all you need for, for the Insta360 link. Could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't need more than that. Uh, they do make various other ones. They've got USB 4 ones with more bandwidth, uh, you know, 20 gigabits per second, 40, and so on and so forth. So figure out what you need for the type of device that you need. And, and uh, But Cable Matters has been building pretty good quality cables. I got recording. Yeah, if you're just going to be using this for your webcam, uh, don't go crazy. The Thunderbolt, you don't need Thunderbolt cables because most webcams come in at a, uh, you know, actually come in over USB 2. So uh, you can have USB 2 cables, but uh, most of them are qualified for USB 3. But you don't need to get the super high bandwidth if you're just going to be using it as a dedicated cable. Just make sure it does carry video because that's separate to two separate wires that are in there that they don't put in there and they're really cheap cables that are just designed for charging or, or simple data transfer. And at short length, I found that almost every cable works if it, if it has data. At 10 feet, I found that 3.2 Gen 2 is, is like that's required to run 10 feet if you're going to run specifically a Link 360. I don't know why, but it, it, is, it requires something that, that needs it. Uh, next question. Tony Mobley, noon in Georgia. During House of Worship last night, I brought in a YouTube video, no sound, restarted the computer, the ATEM Mini, Audio Hijack, and a loopback. Nothing worked. Any suggestions? Good, Chris. Tony, I only say this because I've done it myself, and I don't, and I don't mean to be flippant about it. I have spent entirely too much time trying to troubleshoot audio from YouTube before I find out it was muted in YouTube. I've done it. I've spent way too much time, many times. So I, I would double check that. Um, yeah. And, and I will say, if you're, if you're planning to play something back from YouTube, uh, best investment you'll make is Downey. Just get Downey. You, you take the URL, you throw it in, you download it as a movie, you play it out of there. Do not play things out of YouTube for a show. Like it's just, you know, like it's, it is not a, it's not a stable environment. You're, you don't have any controls over how you're playing it back. Um, my, I, I down, anytime I'm doing a presentation, I just go, go grab the stuff from YouTube, but I, I, I go into Downey. It takes seconds. I know it costs some money to do it, but it is so effective. And it's not just YouTube. It's anything with video that you get it. You, you, someone has an HLS based system up there. It'll just grab all the segments and recompile them for you. Like it, I mean, you know, it's, it's a really, really like anybody who has, uh, I mean, I've used it for, I don't know if I haven't used it recently for this, so maybe they fixed it, but for, for like LinkedIn learning, if I, before we were able to download, I used to use this just to pull all the training down so that I could take it on a flight. <laughs> so, so it's, it's a really, really effective tool to do that. I, I, it sits on the edge of, of, uh, legality, I think, but it's, it's super great. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and make sure if you're if you're in a Zoom session, make sure if you're bringing in YouTube video that you're not bringing it in from the same computer that's hosting your Zoom session that you've got set up for your mic. It's feeding your microphone because Zoom will just take your microphone and it will uh, kind of do mix minus for everything else, so it'll mute the YouTube. Right. Anything else that's on your U, uh, that's on your USB uh, channel into Zoom. So make sure it's on a separate computer. That way, you can bring it in separately on your mixer. Uh, so that it's not coming through Zoom directly. Next question. Uh, Dan Huber in Erie, Pennsylvania is up next. What's Alexander using to show volume level behind him? Good, Alex. Yeah, so I am using the 
American DJ DB Display MK2. And I was turned on to this after seeing that John Pretto had one in the background. I think they're about 100 bucks. It's nothing special. It's kind of just eye candy, basically. It's good. It's good eye candy. I, I really want to get a Duro just to put back there for no apparent reason, but uh, you know, having a good, like, <laughs> good Duro. Oh, Duro. Yeah, yeah Duro, Duro, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, next question. That's a pricey, nice, yeah, beautiful thing. Uh, when you look Jack, at them, though, they, the, the, the action on so them is cool. so beautiful that you just like, oh, I really want one of those. Yeah, see, there it is. You see, uh, there's one right there hidden in the background. Next question. Next question comes to us from Jack Rupel in Breckerridge, Colorado. Can the Insta360 AI warp be done with the 360 link? Uh, I think this is to grab onto a... I, I don't think it can, but I'm not entirely sure what the AI warp is. So if you're talking about taking the 360 conform so you can pan and scan inside of it, no. The 360 does its own uh, rectilinear um, video. Uh, if it's something else, I apologize. But that's if I, if I understand what you're asking correctly, I don't think it does. Uh, next question. Vic Hernandez in Springfield, Missouri says, if you have multiple stations, what are the benefits? Uh, go ahead, Bill. Well, so you've been looking at things like Mitch, you know, uh, to me, it's it's a matter of focus. And I had to change. It used to be that when I went into the voice booth, I was doing voiceover. And that's the only thing that was in my mind. So I wanted only tools that were relative to that. Uh, since I found out that I could take care of the noise issues in here, moving out of the voice booth to my desk and multitasking a little here has been a much better solution because I'm, I'm in a more open air more comfortable environment for long periods of time. And so now all I have to do really is just substitute in my TLM 103 for the Sennheiser uh, uh, mic that I use during the course of the show. And so, but I do have to think a little differently. So to me, it's a setup of monitors that switch. I think you can do it either way. But for me, the answer is focus. Are you interested in just focusing on one task at a time and optimizing for that? Or can you handle a system that can go into different states for different things and become equally comfortable in that multi-mode environment? Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I've got a variety of workstations uh, that I use. This one is the only one I use for Zoom. And after office hours is over, I shut everything down here and I move to a laptop, uh, which is right over there. And... Um, it uh, that's where I, that's my daily driver. That's where I sit and answer all my email, do work on any projects I have to do, and it's it's a gaming laptop, and it doesn't have all the rest of this media stuff surrounding it, so it's easier for me to concentrate on a single screen. And upstairs, I've got a music studio with an electronics shop, basically that has another bunch of four or five computers and multiple screens and three D printers, and it's surrounded with junk and gack. Uh, but uh, I get horrible Wi-Fi up there. I mean, I get Wi-Fi up there, but it's not great. I can't get high bandwidth up there, so that's why I do it. Uh, this show from down here rather than the shop. Yeah, and this is just my this is this is where I work. <laughs> Was when I leave their house, the most I will take out of this room to work in is an iPad, and usually that doesn't even happen. It's like a phone. Like my the rest of my life is pretty analog, um, and so. Like everything is contained and I, for me, from a mental health perspective, I find that to be super useful for me. Of I, I'm very modal. If I walk out of the, ha if I walk out of the room, I'm not working very much. I mean, I might eat, look at my phone every once in a while or whatever, but I'm pretty much out of the mode and I walk back in and I go back to work. And and I think, I think as someone who's worked from home for a long time, I, 
I just had to have a, um, for me, I had to have a modal state of this is my office. I'm going to the office to work. I'm leaving the office. I don't do a lot of personal stuff here either. Like I, like this is my office, <laughs> you know, like, and I, and I do office things here. Um, and I, uh, I'm also very used to monitors, like lots of monitors. And I really can't go back. Like, I just can't go back. Like when I go to a laptop, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> like, like, I can't, because a lot of times I'm, um, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and what's nice about it is I can set things, especially when you have a lot of computers. I had one computer last night, you know, watching the football game. So the football game's over on one. On, I just map it over to one of the monitors. I didn't show I have an 8x8 eight eight, uh, eight, uh, HDMI router. So I just routed the, you know, one of the computers over to one of the monitors. And then I'm just listening to it and watching it over there. Um, and then I, you know, but then I keep on working. I was setting up for the show later today, the off, uh, Gray Matter Not Show. And so, um, so I was setting up for that and making sure I had all the graphics ready and making sure, but I could listen, I could kind of look over when everyone gets excited. It was a pretty good game actually last night. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, I can kind of listen to it and, you know, go through there. Yeah, go to Chris. I can't stress enough how important it is to do <clears throat> what Alex is saying about having the ability to walk away. Uh, I, I used to not be able to do it. And uh, Trish was really good when we, when we started our relationship, I was, uh, I was at home once and I pulled up my laptop and she looked at me and she goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I client sent me a file. I have to make sure it's going to be okay tomorrow. Oh, you, you have to work? Well, I just have to look at a file. Well, you have to work, go to work. Like go, just, just leave, like go, go to work. And when you're done, come back. And I, and I was really kind of offended, but she was, she was spot on. And and, you know, we have this complicated life where I spend a lot of it in the Bay Area, but my home, my real home is in Sacramento. And when I go home, you know, I'm 100 miles away from any computer and I love it. I love it. Yeah. I have my phone and that's it. I know. I, I had, uh, when I worked at Lucasfilm, it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but, but when, I went to, when I worked at Lucasfilm, I lived in a house that didn't have central heat. Like it had, a, I had a wood stove. Um, it was, it would happen to be very close to the, to the ranch so it was just easy but it was in Nicasio and it was in the middle of nowhere and there was horses next door and and but when I got back and back then you know the laptops were not particularly useful <laughs> like in the late 90s it was, it was okay but I you know but I and I didn't have any internet to speak of and so um so it was really I think that's where I really learned I didn't I went through stages of not being like that but I think there was something about that of spending about a year and a half of just like when I go home there's nothing to do like there's nothing to do other than work on things and clean things and do things and think. I mean, I, I used to sit for hours just thinking, you know, like, and I miss that. So, um, so anyway, so I, uh, so I, or I missed that and I tend to do it. Um, the, I also don't use my phone when I watch TV. I know that sounds like a crazy thing, but I very rarely do. I mean, I, I it's not that I never do, but it's very rare for me to watch TV and, and use the phone at the same time, which is an odd thing given the way I work a lot of times. But I was just like, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be here. And if I'm going to be somewhere else, I'm going to be somewhere else. But I, to be in two places at one time, I didn't think that it was worth it. Like if I, if I don't think the TV show is worth doing that, uh, if I'm going to sit in the TV room and I don't think it's worth giving it all my attention, I'm going to watch something else. <laughs> so anyway, um, next question. Next one comes to us from David Brady in New York City. Alex, I'm bullish on Cable Matters products. Oh, I think you skipped oh, one. I think. Did I skip? Oh, something must have cycled. Sorry yeah. about that. Uh, Douglas Carmichael, Jason, I'm impressed with your setup. What model of TV are you using and wouldn't it be harder to mix without your monitors in the center? 
Um, well, th thank you. And I'm not sure what you mean by monitors, so I'll answer the TV question first. By the way, Black Friday special right here. Um, it's $250 off. This is the LG 49 UN700-B. Yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful. But what it lets you do is exactly what you're seeing here, the quadplex. And any one of those can go up to 4K with HDR, and every single one of those is one of my Mac minis, which is really, really handy. Is that Spectre? Uh, yeah, buddy. Of course that's Spectre. Nice. Uh, yes, it was, it, it was um, for those who don't know, um, Alex and I discovered this app years and years ago, and this is an absolute gem. Let me push to it just so you can see it. All of that is marking nothing more than my voice. It, it is an absurd, and it is clean. That's a great layout. Thank we you. had lots of meetings about layouts. Like we use Spectre for a lot of our shows, and there was like meetings about where the buttons and where the things are going. The only thing that I that I might, if you show it again, the um, uh, oh, if we cut to Jason again, I like, I what do you want to see? Um, oh, I was going to say just just go back to the screen again. Yeah, the only thing that when I did um, level, I think it's level history. I think um, the one thing that I would say is that I there's a, you can color code the the area below the line. And I found that to be super useful because um, I would set it, we, you could set levels like this is purple, this is green, right, right. this is red or yellow. And you set those levels and then you, you'd see these big, like you could look at it from across the room, you have 20 of them and you just see red somewhere or purple somewhere, you knew you were too high or too low. But anyway, it's great app. It's, I, I used to have a whole bunch of color stuff and I lost it because um, the new version doesn't, doesn't really read the old version um, setup. Uh, yeah. And yeah. the whole thing just kind of went sideways. But It's um, still the yeah. best one. I mean, if, if someone's watching from a video scope thing, like this, I mean, Spectre is, the, Spectre is the best one so far. As far as flexibility and filling stuff, if it's not the most accurate, there's, I mean, there's really high-end ones that are really nice to do real, real hard work. But one that you're going to put on a monitor is great. We got those, we got Spectre to, um, mostly to show off. Uh, what I mean by that is that we found that if we were only encoding an event, I got two elementals there in a laptop. Like, what am I going to show you? And um, and to make it look like we were working, we built these arrays of of, of scopes and stuff to like because I, I didn't really need it. The funny thing is, once you have scopes up, we started getting very attached to it. We started realizing we knew a lot of things because we had those scopes up and we could see a lot of things. And then it, so it went from being kind of showy for the first couple months to like, I can't do a show if I don't have scopes. Well, my favorite part of this particular thing is that the, um, I can switch back to it. Nope, wrong one. What are you for? There it is. So on the same computer, I have video scopes and audio scopes. And right. it's just two different desktops because the, the M1s are so incredibly efficient. But to yeah. answer uh, Douglas's question, I don't know what you're talking about when you mean mixing. Are you talking about mixing audio? In which case, yeah, you know, I'm using the X32. I'm not, the studio monitors are never, like this room is not set for mastering and I wouldn't use those anyway. So no, that doesn't matter. Next question. Now is the one from David Brady from New York City. Alex, I'm bullish on Cable Matters products for angles. And he's got a link there to a combo pack of USB-C right angle adapters. Yeah, and I I, uh, I was try trying to pull these up from my order, but I ordered, I ordered those after I think these are the ones that we were that we identified as the right angles for um, that we saw in the Apple event I believe and so I I've ordered a couple of these this this is what he's talking about here it's they are good I mean this is um, but I definitely agree I've got a couple of them I couldn't quite grab them fast enough but but these are the little right angles 
I don't use those on the cables. And the reason I don't use on the cables, I, I, I only use right angle adapters or any adapters when I can't find a cable to do that. And the reason for that is that I have them as backups and I always want to be able to do it, but I hate having another thing that could pop out, you know, that I, that, that could pop out, bend, turn, whatever. So I'd rather have the whole cable there. I usually have usually a pair of the, these, I got these new, but I've got other ones as backups, but I don't, I don't use them as my primaries. Uh, next question. Next question comes from Mitchell Hill in Wilmington, Delaware. I like my Sony FX3, but I can't get to the product button that allows you to hold up something to show in focus without covering your eyes. Any ideas? I don't even know where that is. <laughs> like, is that, is that, I don't know. Yeah, is it, it, there is a button on the back and you can actually assign, there's a, a well, right. at least on the FX3, there's a button you can assign to any feature. Right. The problem is it's way back up here. It's hard to get oh, to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and there's okay. no remote that I'm aware of that allows you to engage that. Yeah, I will say that the remote tools like Monitor Plus is great, but it's a little quirky. Like it's you know like you're kind of like it would be great if someone actually like backed up and wrote that again. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. I was going to ask, doesn't it have a Bluetooth app that runs on your phone that you can access those functions? Isn't there? Uh, a, there's a Sony remote, but it's not one of the features that are that not, I've been able to dig down. They to. didn't bring that feature out to the remote. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, next question. Next question comes from Zach Stallsmith in Chautauqua, New York. And Alex is set up with the multiple Mac minis and the KVM switch. Are there monitors that show at least one output of those machines, or does that not totally matter in this setup? Does this affect being alerted to system issues? Yeah, so the way I, ha I, I realize I can't show this as easily, but the way I have this set up is that um, for the four, the Zoom machine application presentation telestrator all feed into not that uh, all feed into my um the zoom one doesn't because i don't need that one so it's application presentation telestrator and one monitor from my studio all feed into the switcher so if i if i pop up my multi-view i can see all of those monitors and i can just tap on any one of them and, and make a selection um so so that's how i how i manage that i've actually as kind of a different kvm have really thought about <laughs> running running one of their outputs into a switcher so that i could do that but haven't done that yet um, there, there is, by the way, I couldn't figure out, I rewired this a little while ago and I couldn't figure out why I'd done what I had done. I, I had routed all the camera, all the computers directly into the switcher and not into my Blackbird. The second monitor goes into the Blackbird and they're usually mirrored. I realized why is because I can't get the, I can't get the, the, uh, EDID to work through the Blackbird into the switcher. I, and I realized I must've ran into that before and then worked around it and then forgot. So anyway, so I'm saying it now so everyone can remind me when I complain about it again. Uh, next question. Stefan Fischer, Würzburg, Germany is back with us for this one. Some of the desks seem to be un still under construction. Do you plan to sort things out someday? Oh, we think about it, you know, like, you know, what is the, what is the day that's always there, but you never reach it as tomorrow. Uh, anyway, so that, that, um, anyway, the, uh, uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that eventually I'm going to build something. The next step for me is to print a bunch of stuff that gets things to where I want them. So I want to bring the switcher up. I want to put a little monitor below it. I want to have things a little bit more ergonomically laid out. And so I'm kind of working on that. And I'm going to print like lots of little bits and pieces to make that work. Then, you know, the idea is to kind of figure out where all these need to be and then have uh, uh, Chris, uh, you know, go to Chris's wood shop and we'll build something that does all the things and then they'll probably not change for a couple of years. The real problem with building final things 
is that you tend to be pouring concrete into something that wants to move. So, so you, you know, the, the, the advantage, the disadvantage is it looks a little messy and it's a little chaotic. The advantage of it is, is that I'm constantly changing it. And as soon as I build something that looks more refined, that's the way it's going to be for a year. Now it's been, this one's changing every couple of months. Like, you know, it's, it's, I'm constantly evolving it and I wouldn't be able to, that's always a mistake people make is to, to, to pour the, we, we call it pouring the concrete too, you know, too early, like before the forms are really ready. And so, so the, uh, so I, I tend to, I pour concrete very carefully and, and usually sometimes never. <laughs> so, but this is kind of a living organism at the moment. Yeah. Next question. Alexander Knight from Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. Does anyone make a cage for the Insta360 link? Seems like this would be advantageous as you could secure cables to it for strain relief. Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, not really, because the Insta360 link has a very delicate gimbal on top of it, which pans around 270 degrees and up and down. And if you put a cage around it, uh, you'd get the cage in the shot and you can't really attach anything to the gimbal. I have... Uh, I built this little uh, box to carry my Insta360 around, so it flips in and drops in with the the base sticking up, and I put a cap on it. I can pull it out and flip it over, and it has a little lip inside, so I can slide it in. But I need to cut a hole or design a hole and print it out again for the for the cable, the USB-C cable to fit in, and then I could secure it somehow. Yeah. But you know, it's. Uh, it would be tough. Nobody. The reason nobody makes a cage for it is because it's a separate gimbal that has to rotate around 360 degrees. So you can't really put it in a cage. Yeah, and and uh, the uh, I I use the Velcro strip that comes with or that I put on that cable to attach it to the tripod or the light stand that I put it on. So a lot of times I put these on light stands, and so I just I give it a little bit of a safety loop, so it's got a little bit of gap, and then I. I, I attach it very tightly to the to the light stand, and that that's how I protect it that way. Um, next question. Pedro G. Gonzalez, back from Oklahoma City. Thanks for showing your setups. Now I don't feel so bad about having a messy desk. We all appreciate that. Can Usually can only have a clean desk for a couple of days before it gets cluttered again. I can't seem to ever have a large enough desk. CJ. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I... I'm the same way. I always have a messy desk, and even though my desk today looked pretty darn messy. I spent some time actually trying to clean it up for the show because I didn't want to be a total basket case. Uh, what The one thing that I find myself doing is when I have a lot on my mind and my head's really swimming with a lot of different inputs and a lot of different considerations, and I know that I need to focus on a single task and really get some deep work done, I, I'll spend an hour and just tidy up the desk and clean it just to do a repetitive, low cognitive load task just to kind of calm all of the noise. And then I can jump right into whatever I'm trying to work on. So that's kind of a strategy I use. But I find that because, especially since uh, being more active in office hours, I've been in this state of rapid iteration, 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 and changing things, it's always messy and it's okay. I uh, I always uh, take when when we think about messy desks or anything else. I always I always like to have this image in my head um, of uh, this is Einstein's desk. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, you know I think that there's a nature of when you have a lot of things going on in your head. You have a lot of things that you you want sitting right in front of you and not too far away. 
Um, so I don't, I, I, I do clean up my desk, uh, usually when I have guests. <laughs> so I clean up, uh, but I, I, I clean up the desk a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay with it being pretty messy. Uh, next question. Uh, Tony Mobley has a last one from Noonan, Georgia. Which ATEM is Alex using? Uh, I am using an ATEM Mini Extreme ISO, the HDMI version. I have an SDI version, but it got pressed into action for the previously for the show because um, I, I keep on threatening to go back to SDI. Um, haven't quite got there yet, but we're working on it. Um, yeah, there you go. Hopefully that's useful for you. Uh, again, you don't need all... I, the, only, the only thing I want to say about this day is that if you're thinking about being a panelist, we have a new panelist uh, meeting tomorrow, not the old panelist meeting. You can come if you're an old panelist and you just want to hang out with everybody. But you don't have to. <laughs> so anyway, so but it's for new panelists. If you have questions and so on and so forth, sign up. That you go to officehours.global slash panelist. But again, this is for sign up there and we'll make sure to get a get get it out to you. I'll with the most of these right now, I'm doing announcements in Discord just so you know that they're there. But if you're a regular panelist, you're more than welcome to come, but you don't have to. Uh, if you're a new panelist, um, you know, you're I'll be spending most of the time just explaining what it takes to be a panelist and answering your questions. Um, but the one thing I want to say is that the most important thing that you work on is your mic. We just showed you a bunch of complicated things. We have people that jump in here with their laptop and a, you know, a gray screen behind them and a good mic. And that's fine. <laughs> like, just so you know, like this is, we want to brainstorm and show you what, what ours looks like. So you get a sense of like what it actually looks like to have some of these images, but you don't have, to, that's not a minimum requirement to be on the panel. Uh, your knowledge is the most important part. And and good audio. <laughs> so some your knowledge and good audio. Uh, so, but, but I think, you know, just to keep in mind, I don't want to, we don't, I don't want to show this all off and scare everybody away from, from doing that. So we'd love to have you on the panel. Um, thank you to all of the producers asking all these questions, making sure that we actually know uh, what you want us to talk about. We can't, we really don't have much of a show uh, if we don't have your questions. We also, of course, don't have a show if we don't have the panelists. So, and again, remember, reminder that we have a new panelist meeting if you're interested. Tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we'll send out an announcement. And, uh, and just note it, you'll see it pop up in Discord again. If you're an experienced panelist, you're more than welcome to come, but you don't have to. Um, and uh, uh, thanks to the, but thanks to the panelists, can't do this without you. And thanks for being willing to show off all of our messy desks and how this all works. Um, and thanks to the incredible team uh, that actually cuts this show, uh, edits this show, um, develops for the show, plans for the show. We really appreciate everyone's hard work. Uh, we traveled uh, 84,000 miles. That's 135,000 kilometers. And that is 668 million bananas for scale. All right, let's jump into after hours. By the way, I call cleaning your work area, call it defragging your desk. <laughs> defragging your desk. Ooh, I yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, Remember. to prospective panelists, this is a cautionary tale, not an intimidation tactic when you see all the <laughs> crazy stuff we have. Clean desk and equals empty mind. That's what escalated quickly. Yeah, yeah. What traps is you pull it apart and put it back together and you go, oh, darn, it is better. I'm you know, the, yeah, because yeah. it is better. No, it's always better. Like I tear, I tear mine apart every three or four months, you know, just to, and, and put it back together just so I, it forces it. Like I, I have to rethink it again. The, um, yeah. You have a lot. Of you can always tell how many how many phone calls. Sorry, what did you say? I said you have a lot of kids. I th I thought my cabling was bad. I looked at yours. I'm like, ooh, that's giving me anxiety. Yeah, I you know I used to keep it really clean, but the problem is I keep changing it. And then I was unwiring it and doing things. It's just not in a state where I can do that. Like, um, so I'm you know, so I'm, I gave up 